thanks for joining us. We're with Pet Chat and Daniel Carrington. Very interesting interview today. Uh, that's right. We'll be talking to Dr. Kerry Neal, and she's the curator at the Australian War Memorial in Canberra. And they have a new uh, exhibition, or it's called the War Dog Memorial, uh, and it's been created to acknowledge and commemorate the service of the explosive detection dogs that are lost in service in Australia, to Australia, which is which is something that is a bit touching, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. This is fantastic, and a very big warm welcome to Kerry Neal. Hi, Kerry. Hi guys, thanks very much for having me. Uh, you're welcome. I guess my first question, Kerry, is what roles have dogs played in, in past wars? Well, they've played a number of roles. Um, we're looking back all the way to the First World War where a lot of dogs were picked up along the way through the trenches and just basically brought into the battalions as mascots to kind of boost morale and provide that little bit of companionship for these men who were so far away from home. Um, but they were also used to send messages along the trench lines as well. And then we see, I guess, with the Second World War, dogs continue to be used in that role of messenger and um, as tracker dogs as well through Vietnam. And then, of course, in current conflicts, they're mainly deployed as those explosive detection dogs, which is a, a very dangerous but an important role um, that they can play these days. I guess um, when you talk about those kind of roles that they've played, and we talk a lot about interaction on this show between dogs and how they help humans and what they were yeah. bred, bred to do, um, it's amazing that they were used for those kind of uh, jobs, I guess, in the sense that um, sometimes when we watch those war movies, unfortunately they don't feature dogs as much as what they should perhaps. No. <laughs> Um, they certainly were a big part of a lot of the men's lives. Um, you know, we've got a lot of photos that show that relationship between the men and the dogs that they bring in as mascots in particular. These, these dogs were treated as, you know, part of the, part of the battalion. They were one of the soldiers. Um, some of them even had little jackets made up for them to wear the battalion colours. I mean, they were seen as a really important part of their day-to-day -day life. I guess so. And, and like back in the day, as you talked about, dogs being in the trenches and yep. for the soldiers it's such a difficult difficult 24-hour period or days and weeks in trenches and to boost morale I'm sure they would have been really good for that purpose. Absolutely just I guess that sense of a little life that they were caring for um, that they were you know looking out for these little animals and just to have that sort of warmth, um, that little bit of companionship in these trenches as well, would have meant a lot. And so you do get those men riding home and even mentioning to their families the fact that they've now taken in, you know, these dogs into the trench. When you say in current and recent conflicts that they're mainly deployed as explosive detection dogs, what does that actually mean? Well, it means that they're now recognised as part of the Defence Force. Um, so they're actually trained up within the Defence Force and um, they do very rigorous training with their handlers before they even deploy overseas. And what's really wonderful in my opinion is that a lot of the dogs that are being deployed now actually come from pound or rescue situations. So these are dogs that possibly have a bit too much energy and are, wow. are a bit too active. Um, but once they've got the skill set, um, they find that they absolutely love this training and they become really very focused on the job at hand. Now, are there any interesting items in the collection that relate to dogs? Well, one of my favourite pieces actually is from the First World War and it's actually a gas mask that was especially designed um, by the Germans for their messenger dogs. Wow. Yeah, so it's shaped very much like a dog's. It's got the muzzle, it's got the ear flaps as well, um, but it's got that same kind of respirator that we had on human gas masks. 
um, to make sure that these dogs who were playing such an important role in sending messages through the lines uh, were kept safe from the gas attacks that were you know, quite evocative of trench warfare we know about. Um, so, yes, that's one of the interesting pieces that we've got. I, I, I like that. It's a really good idea and to go to that extent. And obviously it just shows what... Uh, type of work and how valued their work was when they did that to also think we need to protect them and have that gas mask because absolutely they are helping save our soldiers lives yep yeah um i guess in terms of the sculpture that has been created can you tell us a little bit about it and um when it was unveiled and and who the image is is that's carried with the dog and the handler Sure. Um, It's a beautiful sculpture. So it was commissioned back in 2014, um, and it's a Melbourne-based artist, Ewan Coates, who was asked to produce, I guess, a commemorative sculpture. So it's not a one particular dog and handler, but that really kind of captures that idea of the bond between the EDD or the explosive uh, detection dogs and their handlers. So the sculpture itself actually has the soldier standing tall, but the dog has been raised on kind of a plinth so that his eyes are, you know, they're, they're eye to eye. It's really showing that equality of service and that connection, that bond between the handler and their dogs. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen a picture of it and yeah, yeah. it is quite beautiful and touching. It is. So it's a great work by the artist. I guess um, from your personal point of view, what's your favourite wartime dog story? Oh, there's so many of them. Um, probably one of the ones that most people would be familiar with is actually Horry, the war dog. And he was a little English terrier um, in the Second World War who had just been brought in again as a mascot for the battalion. But what's interesting with his story is that he was actually smuggled all the way back to Australia in one of the little um, sort of one of the soldiers' backpacks that had been designed to be kind of able to carry him so it had some structural changes made so that he wouldn't be crushed during the journey. Um, But yeah, so he was brought all the way back from Egypt um, after he'd spent a number of years with this battalion um, and brought all the way back home to Australia. Uh, That's amazing. What a worldly dog. (laughs) He was, he was. I mean, he'd served in in Greece as a runner. Um, He'd actually been wounded, so, you know, he carried scars of war. Um, And he, again, had one of those little jackets made up for him as well with the battalion insignia and everything. So he was definitely one of the the boys. I mean, that just talks about the the bond that the handler and the dog have. Can you just let us know about what you know in that respect? Well, with, I guess for me, the bond between these handlers um, and their dogs really comes out for me, the first time was looking at the Vietnam War and the tracker dogs because they were an elite group of dogs that were sent over basically to search out Viet Cong um, in the, the jungles. And the bond between these handlers and their dogs when they were over there for you know, a two-year rotation is incredibly strong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these men were putting their lives basically in the hands of, of their dogs, telling them which way to go through the jungle and what was going to be the safest way through. Um, and what's sad there is that so many of these men had to leave the dogs behind. Due to quarantine, um, the dogs couldn't be returned to Australia. Yep. That would have been heartbreaking. Yeah, it would yes. have been. A lot of the men even sort of say it was much like losing a child. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but one wonderful story from that is that a lot of them actually found homes um, in Saigon. And so we've got one case of Tiber, this beautiful black Labrador, 
um, who found a home in the Australian Embassy over there with a couple who'd just come over from Australia. So there were some good, good endings to those stories as well. Well, Kerry, thank you very much for sharing all that information. And, and uh, yes, uh, if you are visiting the Australian War Memorial, make sure to go and see the Dog War Memorial. So it's certainly worthwhile. And we're going to go to Janelle in Thornton. You've got a question for Kimberly. Why does your cat like fruit? Yes, um, I actually have two cats and they're about eight years of age and right from the time that they were babies, they absolutely love the fruit bowl. They just go ballistic when I put the fruit out on the cupboard like, and I have to cover it over and they pull the cover off and grab the fruit and roll it around the floor and then curl up in the fruit bowl. And Are they, are they actually yeah, eating the fruit, things. Janelle? Janelle, are they actually eating the fruit, biting into it and things, or is it the... The ball that they like? No, I think it's the smell. Okay. They absolutely just go crazy. And their favourite um, fruit is green grapes. Okay, that's interesting. That's because they're so sweet. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. I've nailed <laughs> yeah. the whole thing of grapes today. And, and so they're actually eating them. They're like biting into them and, and eating them, are they? No, no, they no. don't eat them. They just rub their oh, heads okay. against them. And, right. You know, oh. really... Um, well, uh, dare I say yeah. it, but one of them, I think, gets quite orgasmic. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> it's you've really some fruity cats. Yeah. You've got them, oh my God. I mean, they're, they're obviously associating something really pleasant with it. So whether or not there's been, you know, maybe your fruit was spiked with catnip at one point and now they have that positive association with the fruit bowl. Um, th- there's definitely something, you know, that they like, that they're, you know, fond of it. Um, I, I, I can't Can you really... imagine this? You're in the fruit yeah. bowl. You've got grapes in there, some apples. Apples, some kiwi fruit, and and you lay in it as, as being yeah. a cat. It's a massaging, don't little, you think? Little massage. It's, it's or like all these little Denny, balls. It sounds like you know this too well. <laughs> oh my goodness, we're finding out a lot today. Yeah, I, yeah. I come. I got out of bed the other morning, and one of them was sound asleep, as happy as Larry on top of the fruit. Wow, really. Loved it, but I just didn't know if it was a common thing for no. cats to like fruit. <laughs> no, it's not. But it sounds, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I, I would just assume that when they were really young, something's happened and given them a really sort of happy, positive association with the fruit and the fruit bowl, and it might be the location or, um, you know, something like that. But they've obviously got a very positive uh, association with it, and, and um, it's certainly not typical or or common but um certainly not pathological either i would janelle be. they're keeping the fruit polished for you yeah just yeah, yeah. Oh, i would just make cats. sure you're washing your yes. fruit after the cats have loved oh, absolutely. it <laughs> oh, good on you janelle and we're going to go to carol now from tukley now you've got a naughty putty cat as well it's doing some things on your bed yes she sure is she's four years old i've had her since she was uh, a year old and i believe she may have done it um with the people that had to be for me. But it's not just the bed, Kimberly. If I leave um, a pile of books, uh, magazines, she'll sometimes wee on them and there's no rhyme nor reason okay. for the, the period of time. Sometimes it's months, yep. sometimes it's twice in, in four days, sometimes it's weeks apart. She's been checked out. She doesn't have any physical problems. Good, okay, yep. And I've tried diffusers, uh, changing a litter, the type of litter, giving... Yep or an extra litter box, nothing seems to work. It seems to help, yeah. So it sounds like she's having 
um, you know, either an anxiety related or a marking, you know, related. So it might be something to do with, you know, there's there's a new piece of, um, you know, like you said, book or furniture or clothing or fabric or a pillow on the ground that she's not used to. And she's sort of going, mm, this is new. It doesn't have my smell on it. I'll, I'll put a I'll bit of wee it. here. I'll fix that up. <laughs> yeah. Um, we do certainly see anxiety in cats related to urine marking. Um, yeah. And that might be that she's actually looking at it and thinking, gee, this is something new in my environment that's threatening and yeah. I'm really worried about it. And so, yeah. you know, I'll show you and put a bit of wee uh, onto it. Um, and it's really good that you've already had her up to your vet because we know then that she hasn't got any urinary tract infections, things like no, that. No, there's nothing mad with it. And do female cats... I'm, obviously, they mark like that, but spray. A couple of times, I've thought they can. There was, yeah, there was hardly any there, and, and, and it seemed to be a spray pattern yeah. rather than a. It, it doesn't happen as often, but I certainly no. have seen it. Oh right, um, okay. So you know, you may want to talk to your vet about putting her on a sort of a longer-acting um, anti-anxiety medication to see if that right. helps. If the diffusers and things aren't working, there are certainly some. Um, you can get them as liquids or transdermal gels um, that you put on. And, and it sounds like hers is a bit variable in terms of its its degree and, and its frequency, but it might be that she's got this low-level simmering underlying anxiety issue and that if we can help her with that, then you might see that the frequency decreases or, or goes away. So maybe have a chat with that because um, okay. it sounds like you've sort of exhausted all the sort of typical <laughs> things that we usually recommend. Yes, I, I think I may have. Okay, then. Well, thanks very much for your help. You're very welcome. Good on you, Carol. Taking your calls, 49216216. We've got Dr. Kim. Earl, answering any of your questions about your beloved pets. Uh, Greg in Maitland, now a bit of a sad case here. Please tell us all what's happening with your 12-year-old Maltese. Well, um, poor girl, she's um, developed Cushing's disease mm -hmm. and uh, she's, uh, oh well, she's drinking a lot. She's yeah. uh, very lethargic and... Um, just not the same dog, can't no. jump up. And Is she getting some of those physical changes with the big round pot belly and the thinning hair coat and things like that? Yes, yeah. hair on the stomach. The yeah. pot belly hasn't developed as yet. Okay, yeah. Um, so I'm just wondering, uh, a 12-year-old, can I let the disease run its course or do <laughs> I take medication? Listen, I, I, it's a hard question to answer. Um, certainly there have been lots of cases where we just say, listen, if the dog's quality of life isn't bad and they're getting on okay, we can just let the disease run its course. Um, it does predispose her to a few things. They, they can have... Um, uh, an increased propensity towards clot formation and things like that. And there are certainly some cases where um, it's definitely worthwhile treating. If you have a, a diabetic dog who's also a Cushing's dog, it can be very hard to keep their diabetes under control without treating the Cushing's disease. In, in old times, um, the drug treatment you might attain was quite a difficult thing to administer. It's classed as a bit of a chemo, uh, uh, cytotoxic drug, so it's a bit like a chemotherapy-type drug. There oh. are some new, um, or there are, is a new drug trialistane now that's available. It's not perfect. Um, it does have some side effects, and we can see dogs have acute crashes from that as well. I guess you really have to look at what her quality of life is like. And if you feel that her quality of life is quite good, even though she's, you know, losing her fur and 
um, and sort of slowing down a bit. But is her quality of life still good? Is she having any um, issues with infections and things? Because certainly Cushing's disease, they have a very high level of, of steroids, um, sort of stress steroids or cortisol in their body. It can make them more predisposed to having urinary tract infections, skin infections, those sorts of things. Uh, but you might find that she's doing okay uh, and that her quality of life is not being impacted and she's happy and she wants to go for her walks and she's still eating and drinking and toileting normal, yes. um, then it may not you know, be... I, I've done both things where I've treated some dogs and not treated others. And so I think having a really good, frank discussion with your um, vet, you know, because sometimes, sometimes the stress of treating them, it comes certainly with some cost and there is certainly some monitoring uh, that is. needs to be done and it's not without some risk as well. So I think yes. having a really frank discussion with your vet and saying, listen... My gut feeling is that she's doing okay and I don't want to treat her. I think that's probably okay. Or if you feel her quality of life is not good, then maybe exploring treatment for her is not a bad option. Good luck, Greg. Horrible when our babies are sick. It's 20 to 1. You're on Pet Chat on 2NURFM. And taking more calls, 49216216. And I think we've got Daphne from Aberglassen now. You've got a comment about your kitty cat. Yes, I have. Um, I was just listening to the lady that said that her cat liked... Um, the fruit bowl and whatever. So I thought I'd better ring up and tell you about my cat. Um, I've got uh, four cats, but anyhow, one of them is a British short hair, and we adopted him when he was about 18 months old. And the reason that the people had to give him away is that he was going over the back fence and he was eating the man's tomatoes <laughs> off the back. And, <laughs> and um, he said that if he continued to do so, he would shoot him. So oh. They put him up for adoption, and he he would eat tomatoes if you'd give them to him. He also wow. loves stone fruit and watermelon, and the vet adv- advised me not to give it to him. But every day, if I have some watermelon at lunchtime, I cut him off just a couple of tiny little pieces. How could you but, not? <laughs> that's right. And he comes from anywhere. You know how they can be in a dead sleep. Yeah. And then, you know, he knows when I get the watermelon out of the fridge. <laughs> but I give him, like, it probably would, it wouldn't even fit on a 10-cent piece. But he just loves it. He wow. crunches it up. So yeah. it isn't that unusual, really. You know, mm-hmm. like, it's just one of a kind. But I just thought I'd have to ring and let that other lady know that, I've got one of those cats too. There you go. Have I'll, have to, I'll have to start asking my clients, does your cat have a fruit fetish? Yeah. <laughs> Next time I'm in Africa on one of those safaris, I'm going to bring some watermelons with me and a bit of fruit just in case yeah. a tiger or a lion comes at That's me. Right. Oh, you want to get really up close and personal. <laughs> I'm just grateful when I stole a mango from my neighbour's tree once, they didn't say they were going to shoot me. <laughs> I think that's a bit rough. Vicky from Wood Rising, you've got an issue with some white cockatoos at the moment. I have, done. Welcome back. It's lovely to hear your voice. Oh, thank you very much. Much. Lovely yes, to be back. I have. Uh, with cockatoos. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I thought you said chooks. Yeah, cockatoos. Uh, <laughs> I could have. Who knows? Yeah, well, that's it, darling. <laughs> um, yeah, um, replace the old rails, that um, wooden rails on the porch that they chewed. And <clears throat> we went to and they, the people that sold the, these rails said, you know, they're pretty deterrent. They won't go near these rails or <laughs> chew them, and guess what? Mm. You've just so given them a new toy. Yeah, well, they're just, and I mean, it's not cheap, the, the railings, no. and I'm just wondering if the vet's got any idea... Yeah, it's a it's a tough one because um, you know cockatoos are pretty bold and confident, and they um, they have very strong beaks. That I I grew up with a 
cockatoo that had chewed the whole back of the family lounge, like right down to everything. Yeah, um, I believe it. You know, in a in a domestic pet situation, we don't usually recommend punishment and things like that. But you might try taking a spray bottle, see if you can spray them off, give them something of a deterrent. Oh, you might okay. try to attract them to a separate area, give them yeah. something out further in the yard that they can um, chew sure. on and using a, a detractant. You can try some of those... Um, you know, the plastic owls you get at the um, oh, reject yeah. shop and things like that. Yeah. See if you poke, you know, pop one of those up on the edge and see if that will act as a bit of a deterrent. Um, it hasn't worked for me with the minor birds in my backyard oh, because they're pretty, they're pretty clever and they work mm. out that they're not moving around a bit. Exactly. Um, but, you know, I think in this sort of circumstance, using a spray bottle, I, I don't recommend it with, um, with pet animals of any kind, but spraying no. them because you really are trying to get them. I mean, what they're doing is a behavior that's not really normal to come that no. close to you anyhow yeah, yeah. Um, so i'd certainly destroying. try some of those yeah um, just water in the in the bottle just water yeah just i would just water. use water and put it on a fairly um straight you know, stream yeah and another thing is uh two chalks yep. and they roam around it freely in the yard um want to spray the grass with roundup and is that all right or would the chooks be affected by No, you don't you want to make sure that you're not spraying right near where the chooks are. So mm-hmm. if you need to spray the whole yard, you need to remove the chooks from the area for that period of time. Probably mm-hmm. 24 hours is sufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, but the actual pesticides themselves are fairly specific for the the plants. They don't mm-hmm. cause a lot of problems in the birds themselves mm-hmm. as long as they're not inhaling it or, you know, actually getting they might get a skin contact issue. So I think usually the products will say don't put pets on it for um, sort of a 24-hour period. Okay. And you could do the same thing with the birds. Just lock them up somewhere for that 24-hour period. Okay, darling. Thanks okay. very much for your information. You're welcome. Thanks Thank for your you. call. Take care. Bye. It's kind of turning into the weirdest thing that your pet eats because we've got Helen from East Maitland and uh, you've got another pretty interesting cat story. Yeah, I've got two cats and once I'm finished eating the yogurt, they like to get the container and lick the rest of it. Yeah. That's that's not un, it's uncommon. Not a yeah, it's milky, it's creamy. They like it. It's pretty sweetened. Um, I think it's not a major drama as long as we're not giving them significant amounts of yogurts. Because even even cats, although we all have that picture in our head of cats drinking milk straight from the dairy and things like that, a lot of cats will not tolerate a lot of milk in their adulthood. Um, but a small amount of uh, you know yogurt here and there. My dog would do the same thing. She would die to have. Um, a bit of yogurt, you know, from from a container like oh, that. Yeah. So I think, you know, as long as they're they're having a bit of fun and, and it's not too much, it's unlikely to cause a problem. It's a treat. It's a bit of a treat. It's a yeah. treat kind of yeah. food. I've got a friend actually, and they give their cat. This is really naughty. Not often <laughs> condensed milk, though. The cat. Oh, I know it's so it. sweet. I did some baking yesterday, and I've forgotten how good condensed milk was until I had to have a little lick yeah. of the spoon. Yeah. Listen again, a tiny little treat. Um, I've heard of some people using it to help medicate their pets, but it's very, very high in sugar, and not something we really want to accustom our pets to um, having too much of. So yeah, nor our children, nor ourselves. That's right. <laughs> I need to take that advice. I think stay away from the. Condensed milk. Look, we better do our pet of the yeah. week. We haven't done that yet. We haven't, and it's a dog this week, and her name is Sky, and she's a, a cuddly female bull Arab that's eight months old, Charlie. And you know what? What? She sent us an email. 
She? she sent us an email. She sent an email to 2NURFM, and, and I'll actually read it word for word. I thought a pause would be too big for the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't you seen the doggy keyboards? No. They're designed with big buttons. Well, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's onto it. She's very advanced for eight months. <laughs> she says, I'm looking for a home where I will be able to become part of the family and enjoy quality time with you watching TV, particularly, which show do you think she likes the most? Ooh. Paw Patrol. <laughs> I was going to say Dr. Chris. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's a Bondi vet. Bondi vet. Bondi vet. And snuggling really close. I love playing with toys and running around and having fun. Of course she does. Isn't she cute? She's a hunk of spunk, this one. She is. The great thing is she comes with some training as well. Yep. So she can sit, she can stay, she can. She waits for her food, um, she's learning how to drop and obviously, because she's only eight months old, there's still some training to do, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Um, but she's very smart, so she picks it up very quickly. Um, she also hardly barks, oh, which is fantastic. That is. Yep. Um, she would suit a home with a furry friend or is okay uh, when her foster mum and dad go to work as long as she has her walk and her friend. Mm-hmm. So if you are interested in Sky, please call Kel on Zero four zero one three one zero four one six. She's also on the dogrescuenewcastle.com.au website and she's on the 2 and your RFM website in the pet chat, pet chat section. Yeah, look, go check her out. I guess, and I was asking you before, Kimberly, that um, a lot of people kind of see a bigger dog or read Bull Arab and think, oh, mm-hmm. they might be a bit nasty, but that really isn't the case. No, listen, we always want to, um, you know, look at the merits of the individual dog. We yeah. always have, a, you know, a, um, a deed not breed sort of thing. She looks like a lovely dog. I see a lot of these bull Arabs and bull Arab cross dogs in my practice and they can be really lovely, friendly pets. Um, Definitely training, really, really important. And in a young dog, any young dog, but particularly young large breed dogs, making sure they get adequate amounts of exercise is absolutely vital. So if you haven't got time to exercise her, then she's not the dog for you. But, you know, with adequate amounts of exercise and some more training, she'll probably make a really lovely house pet, family pet. Perfect. Look, go check her out. You can head to our 2 URFM website, 2 com. Go to programs, lifestyle shows and click on Pet Chat and all the details and the gorgeous photos of her will be there. Look, it's six to one. Lucky Kimberly, we've saved just a couple of minutes to talk about our topic this afternoon. We didn't want to miss it, but it is a serious one. It is. In our pets, yeah. and we are talking about diarrhea. Yeah, so it's summertime and we're seeing a lot of puppies and kittens, and so a lot of them are presenting with diarrhea. Now, diarrhea can be um, fairly mild or it can be pretty serious, and in this case, I was just thinking about the sort of milder cases. So we're talking about your puppies and kittens that are still eating still drinking they're running running around and they're fairly happy but the stuff coming out the back end is maybe not as nice as you'd like to expect it yeah so we can see um the most common is probably that we've had a food change and a lot of times they're coming from the breeder they're coming from the pet shop they've had a food change we can expect a dietary sort of diarrhea for about three to five days and once they've sort of settled into the new food that should resolve really important we're up to date with our worming programs these guys can get worms across the placenta from the mum dog or cat Um, and so we want to make sure we're being wormed really really frequently for puppies it's every fortnight until they're 12 weeks and then monthly till they're six months and kittens fairly similar to that as well okay there are some other parasites that are a little bit less common but I saw a case of um, a pup with giardia yesterday Um, so some of those parasites you know if we've taken care of the worming and we've dealt with the food we're still seeing some diarrhea then it's time to head off down to your vet bring a sample a nice fresh sample along if you can we'll have a bit of a look at it 
and see what kind of tests we can do. And we might put your dog on some extra um, different antibiotics or different wormers, different antiparasitics. And if we can't find anything and the dietary uh, and the sorry diarrhea is um, persistent, then we might look at doing some send out lab tests. So we've got some fairly fancy new send out tests that can help us identify some of the other bugs in there that are a little bit less common. Okay, um, but definitely if you're if you're not getting that diarrhea under control, your puppy's still bright and happy. Um, you know, give it a few days mm -hmm. and feed really nice bland sort of stuff so not a lot of chopping and changing just go to really bland stuff some puppy food or some boiled chicken and rice if it's not sorting itself out get into your vet and anytime you have a puppy or kitten that has diarrhea if they're not happy and eating and bright if they're starting to become lethargic they need to go to the vet ASAP because that might that could be, be quite more a serious. serious absolutely more serious yeah really good advice uh, look thank you both for coming in today Thanks. lovely having here for thank Petra. you very much yeah yes, we'll talk good. to you very soon